The following is a message by Sean Taylor, a pastor at Grace Family Church in St. Catherine, Jamaica. To learn more about Grace Family Church, visit gracefam.church. Thank you, Sheldon, for that intro. Thank you again for all of you here. Big up again to the mothers. Um, the truth is whatever gifts that we give, cake that we bake, buy food for you this Sunday and make sure you don't have to cook and clean, it don't really compare to, it don't make up really. <laughs> for the, the cost and the sacrifice that you guys give. And so, yeah, I just, I just want to say just thank you again. Thank you. Um, no doubt what you guys do. Um, yeah, I, 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 don't, I don't know. I, I told my wife that I, I truly believe just her being a mother, she will have a bigger crown than me when we go into the new heaven and the new earth. I really believe that. We, we might very well find that to be the case. And so, as Sheldon mentioned, this morning we're going to continue our sermon series looking at the shaping virtues, and we're going to look at servanthood. Uh, somebody came to me today and said, Boy, did you guys intentionally put servanthood on Mother's Day. Not really. So, you know, again, it just happened that I had said to the guys, hey, yeah, man, I'd love to share on this. And then we're just looking at the schedule and they're like, oh, wait, you're going to share on Mother's Day. And so, again, it's not a Mother's Day sermon, but I really do believe that much of what we will be talking about really embodies the life that we see many of our mothers walk through. And so, as Sheldon mentioned, we're going to be looking at 1 Corinthians 12, verses 4 to 7. So if you have your Bibles, love you to go and look at that. We're going to camp there a bit um, and then pull from other passages. And so, 1 Corinthians 12 verses 4 to 7. This is what it reads. It says, No, there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone, to each it's given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Lord, may the entrance of your word bring light and understanding to us this morning. And may you do exactly what you say you will do. Would you empower us? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I want to take some of us, especially adults, down memory lane. Um, and maybe children, if you want to say something here, you can. But as you think, I want you to remember, as a young child, you remember some of the things you wanted to be when you grew up? You, you know, like 
when you were six, eight, ten? What do you remember? Okay, Caleb said he wanted to be a soldier. He wants to be a soldier. Interesting. <laughs> Who else? What do you remember that you wanted to be when you, you grew up? Someone say a pilot? A paleontologist? Wow. That's good. I wanted to be an archaeologist. Johnny, what you say you want to be? You want to be alive. Okay. That's good. That helps. Dr. Simpson, you wanted to be a vet. Okay. All right. Well, that's close. <laughs> it's close. <laughs> You know, she takes care of a lot of our children and the chaos of our home. And that is great. But the reality is, again, doctor, lawyer, these are some of the different things that I know. I remember my friends saying they want to be. Somebody wanted to be an engineer. Somebody said they wanted to be. I remember a friend, he wanted to be the first Jamaican astronaut. Again, very good things. And again, it's funny to watch it that even this type of you know, aspirations and what we want to be when we grow up and our profession, even when we get older, we kind of still carry some of that. You realize whenever you're introducing yourself to somebody or especially when you're in the business world, you shake hands and then you say, Hi, my name is John Brown. And then... Oftentimes, people go straight into their profession. They go straight into what they do. Again, it's one of the first ways we get to identify ourselves, give us an idea of our purpose and, 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 and the vision that you have for your life. It, it helps to give people a quick glimpse about who we are and what we're about, right? What occupies our time and our focus and our interests. What strikes me very interesting is watching how the apostles would sometimes introduce themselves. Again, especially in the original language, when you look at it, they use this word called doulou. Doulou. Paul introduced himself in Romans and Philippians and Titus in this way. He's a doulos. Peter and James in their own letters, that's how they describe and introduce themselves. And when you look in your modern translation, you're going to typically see the word servant or bondservant. But really, for the original readers, when they heard that word, you know what they thought of? Slave. Slave. No. For us as Caribbean people, hearing that word is quite unsavory, right? It comes with very negative connotations. It's very difficult for us to disassociate the word of slavery from the transatlantic slave trade, which was characterized by brutality, murder, horrendous acts of violence, human trafficking, prejudice. I mean, again, when you hear that word slave, you, you think about treating others like property. They don't have any more rights than the beast of the field. 
But I will say, to be fair, the New Testament reader at the time wouldn't hear the word slave in that particular way. You know, a slave, they could earn wages, they could have property, they could amass great wealth and power and position. But again, at the end of the day, it's very hard to miss the fact that how, again, the, the apostles introduced themselves as slaves, it really speaks about someone who take them orders from a master, right? Again, no matter how you want to sanitize things, the outcome of the slave really depends on how nice the master was. And even for the New Testament guys, some masters weren't that good. So again, it wouldn't, as you can imagine, it's not a great sell for us to add slavery as one of our shaping virtues. I'm not sure how comfortable we feel about saying the shaping virtue of slavery. But again, this word is used about 130 times in the New Testament to describe what we are called to be as believers. It's very hard to get around it if we want to understand what it means for us to be servants and to have this virtue of servanthood. And so, again, whether you want to call it slaves or bond servants or servants, again, this description that the scripture calls us to puts us in a position where our desires or marching orders come from a master. Servanthood. It's costly. Servanthood. It's a sacrifice. That's a hard pill to swallow, isn't it? You don't, you don't feel that way? I mean, especially in the context where, as a world, we really value freedom. Of course. We value freedom. We value the ability for us to do what we want to do. We, we struggle with this notion of being subservient to the needs and wants of others. I mean, really? But one of the things you're going to realize that as you look in the book, as we look at the Bible, we realize that we were always created to serve. You understand that? We always were created for that. The moment human beings entered into the garden from creation, when God said it was good, one of the first things that man did, what was that? You remember? Take care of the garden. Tend to it. Be stewards of the creation that I've given you. We were created to follow the rule and instructions of a great and gracious master. We were created to serve. But if you remember, when man sinned, no doubt things change. But service and our call to serve didn't change. Again, all that happened when sin came, human beings simply serve whoever or whatever they believe is the king of their kingdom. And so, some of us, the king that we have and the king we serve is power. 
Maybe for others, the king will serve his ambition. For others, acceptance of people. For others, maybe comfort. For others, notoriety, wealth, knowledge. But again, before the fall, after the fall, we were created to serve. And so that's why Joshua, when speaking to the Israelites, he kind of narrows it down to two options. In Joshua 24, 15, he says, If it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your father served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And so at the outset, GFC, I want to say to us, we are only free to choose who or what we serve. But we're not free to choose whether or not we will. So if service is something you and I can't avoid, I think this is the main goal we have this morning. Let us be equipped to serve well. Let us be equipped to serve in a way that we can do it joyfully, sustainably, with perseverance. We need a biblical and sustained servanthood. And so I, I think uh, the big idea from this passage this morning is that the Spirit sustains us to serve for the good of one another and the glory of our Master. This is the big idea if you want to write that down. That the Spirit will sustain us to serve for the good of one another and the glory of our Master. As we look at these four verses, I want to look at three points. It's longer points than normal. The first point, a multitude of service to our good Master. And then we're going to look at the source of our sustained service. And then service for the common good. So let's look at the first point in verses 4 to 5. Again, this is what it says. There are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. One thing you would notice that as we look at these two verses, two important ideas come about as it relates to what we're called to do in service. And Here's one, one. Service is expressed in many ways. And so if you're writing that down, that's one point. Service is expressed in many ways. And that all our service should be for our Lord. I want us to look at that second idea first because I think it will lay a very good foundation for us. You know, as a community, as we've been meeting here for a few years, we've been able to go through the book of Mark. I don't know if you remember when we went through the book of Mark and the very popular passage about just watching Jesus and his idea about service. You know, boy, he didn't come to be served, but to serve, lay himself down as a ransom. We looked at different things where they described who wants to be the greatest. Well, he's the one who serves. And even when we went through Philippians, we saw how that theme of Jesus being the master, but taking the lead in service by coming in flesh as a servant. 
to lay his life down for his people. Again, this is always something that makes Christianity very distinct from every other faith. You see, for us, we don't atone for our sins or make ourselves right with God by serving him. You see, our master saved us through his service to the Father. That truth is the very basis of our own service. And so that's why 2 Corinthians 5.15 says, And he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. So again, the, the service God calls us to is this willingly sacrifice, this willing sacrifice of our time, of our energy and our resources, not for our personal gain, but the benefit of others. And because in doing so, we imitate our master who served us to the point of death. Again, servanthood is difficult. It's an inconvenience. It is draining. It is unforgiving. It is exhausting. It is without nearly enough please and thank you. Yet, when we daily grow in this virtue, it's an opportunity to reflect Christ who served us unto death. You know, again, I said it to my wife this morning. I know as I watch you serve, sometimes you serve like you're soon dead. It's hard. You know, Nate Palmer in his book, Servanthood as Worship, gives this insight where he says, Biblical servanthood is a reaction to God, a response to a holy God's forgiveness of our sins. We do not serve for salvation, but from salvation. Serving is intended to magnify the gospel, not replace it. Our serving is a manifestation, an outworking, an evidence of our faith in Christ. Again, serving that comes out of this place of gratitude rather than being some necessity. Again, it's not that we have to serve, but we get the opportunity to do so. Again, that kind of selfless service, again, is why we really want to, again, honor you mothers. You tirelessly love, you tirelessly serve your family. But understand, every sleepless night, every repeated instruction, every deed done that goes very unnoticed, it does not go unnoticed by your good master. When you continue like this, the truth is you are reflecting Christ. When you do it yet again, with grace, with perseverance, with gratitude, you fill your home with the aroma of the gospel. And so again, we thank you. We thank you so very much for the ways that you serve. And so again, with this in mind, I want to go back to the early idea that I mentioned from this verse. So again, service is to our Lord, but service is also expressed in different ways. 
servanthood comes in various shapes and sizes. Especially in our church context, it's, it's very easy to focus on some of the structured ways that people serve. So it, we, we talk about the roles of the pastor and the, the person on the stage who is preaching. We're talking about the deacon responsible for this ministry and that ministry. We talk about those who serve on worship team and usher and children's ministry and sound team and admin team. Again, those structured roles are no doubt very important. It's one of the ways we get to build up each other and care for each other in the local church. And again, as leaders, we are very humble. As we think about UGFC, the truth is, when, even when we had our last um, call to, to, for people to come up and serve, you guys do it joyfully. You guys come up and want to ask, hey, how can we serve? You do it with enthusiasm. And we are very grateful. And so again, I don't, I don't want anybody to think of this message as our way to say, guys, come on, start serving. Guys, you're doing a great job. Guys, you did this well. Guys, it pleases the Lord. Thank you. Again, there are so many ways that we've seen you serve in very spontaneous ways. Ways that there are no structured ministry to get this done. I mean, last week, just hearing us, we, we go on stage and we say, listen, Kirk and Nicole, they're getting married. You know, if you're able to serve, if you're able to help and get stuff ready, we'd love that. And as soon as service done, boom, we see things move. Chairs move, this gone. Uh, uh, things set up and people gone. Because they want to serve. The ways that a lot of you are very open to the needs of people. Hearing that somebody is sick and saying, you know what, let's, let's go and get some meals for them. Let's go and see how we can help out. This person is overwhelmed. How can we, how can we step in? A grace group realizing somebody is moving and saying, all right, how can we help them pack up? How can we help them to move? The times that I have received in many ways encouragement from different people. Messaging me, saying, you know, Sean, thank you for encouraging me. Sean, you know, I noticed, I saw when, when, when things were finished and you decided to go and pack up. Yo, thank you for that. Those things are very encouraging. It serves us as leaders. Again, when you follow up with somebody the next week, who you spoke to about a prayer request and you say, yo, how, how, how are things going? You are serving. Again, service is varied. Service is broad. There are everyday acts of service that help us to experience the realities of the gospel. We see the ways that service is going beyond the church. It's going to neighbors. You know, Jordana, again, I was encouraged to say she's at school. She is studying. She's doing work. But she has to say, you know what? I've seen a particular need with some people at this hospital. Church, can you help? And people stepping in and helping. Again, you guys are doing good jobs at service. Clap yourself. Clap yourself. Like Miss Lucy, clap yourself. But... I kind of feel, even as I say clap yourself, you're just tired. 
you can barely clap yourself because it feels draining. I understand. You know, and again, while the world tends to compare service and give value to certain acts because of the prestige and the clout that it brings for us, we recognize there is no such thing as too small of a service because all of this is, is, is to a big God. You know, one of the passages that I love and, and just love to look at is Jesus modeling service when he's washing the feet of the disciples. Again, is a reminder to us that, listen, when it comes to service, there's nothing too beneath us. Because, again, varied acts of service mean sometimes you are at a conference teaching or at another time you are cleaning toilets. That's the reality. One thing, again, have to take the opportunity to just big up our pastors. How, in different ways, I watch these pastors, I see them work hard. And then them come early to go set up. Every minute, Joel have to change shirt because him sweating out. And I have to come with two shirts. Thank you, men, for how you serve. You don't have, nothing is beneath you guys. Thank you for modeling that. Especially in a context where you feel like, boy, oh, if you're a pastor. No, 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 no. That's not for, that's not for me to do. I'm just doing the work of the Lord. You guys don't operate like that. That is service. Those are the things that God is going to give us crowns for. Again, when you see Jesus deciding to wash feet, I don't know if you appreciate it. Remember, you know, we drive in our cars, we have our Prados to go over dirt road. But best believe, the only vehicle that most of these guys drive in is a 10-tow turbo, you know. And so as they walk in their dust and they walk in the dung, those feet are dirty. One of the things, when you look at what theologians will mention about the washing of the feet, they will say culturally, not even a Jewish slave would wash feet. That's when they call for the Gentile slaves. Again, yet Jesus saying, listen, no, 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 I can stoop low. I can take the lowest form of service. And so again, we recognize that we don't have our eyes set on big service. But we can embrace the mundane service, the repetitive service, the, the boring and frustrating service, the overlooked service because we recognize that even though it's overlooked there are just needs that need to be met and we'll go after it and so again what can sustain us when we do that let's look at that second point the source of our sustained service verse 6 says and there are varieties of activities but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone you see, one of the challenges we face as we seek to grow in this virtue of servanthood is the fact that, listen, we have a lot of things to unlearn. We have a lot of things to unlearn from the world that we've been in. Because if we be honest, the world understands service, don't they? 
The world understands service. By the common grace of God, humans can perceive and even reflect this virtue that we're talking about. Regardless of your spiritual state, we are able to talk about, you know, that shop gives good service. That one, bad service. We have an understanding of what that looks like when someone's service is helpful. Maybe because they're courteous. Maybe because they engage with a smile. And they didn't give you bad chat when you go to the shop and you ask for curry gravy and you ask, it looks like what? You're asking for something wrong. But again, one of the things that the world and its service does, a lot of it is transactional, right? A lot of it is transactional. I scratch your back, you scratch mine. There is equity in service. And so what happens for us when we don't unlearn the service that we've grown up to watch, it causes us to be the people that we serve best when we receive gratitude. We serve best when we get positive feedback. We serve best where we're most appreciated. And again, we struggle to do it when we don't get the thanks. We struggle to do it when there's no recognition. We struggle to do it when the people them just assume. Again, servanthood, when the world teaches us it, sometimes it's simply a way to get what you want. You know, if I'm faithful with these small things, I can finally get to do the bigger things I really want to do. You know, servant leadership is a language for sure rooted in Christian principles. But even if you look in a lot of modern books and self-help books and books about leadership, you're going to hear that word servant leadership all of a sudden. And so one of the things that we are going to have to check our hearts about and watch the temptation we have is to use servanthood to manipulate. Is if I serve you like this, I can get what I want. If I do this for you, maybe I will get what I want. But again, biblical, sustainable, and long-lasting service is only empowered when we are plugged into the right source. And if we for one moment think that service depends on us, we are in a world of trouble. If your reliance is on your skill sets, on your competence or your enthusiasm or your health or your emotional um, capacity, your service is going to eventually lead to bitterness and to burnout. And so you and I need a healthy and realistic view of God for sure, but one thing we also need is a realistic view of ourselves. Because sometimes, and maybe this only applies to just me, you see, in my pride, I can think God has gotten a good deal when he recruited me into the kingdom. Yo, listen, when God got me, no, that was a good trade. He got a good servant on his team. Again, this is my confession. This is probably not in your heart. But I can feel that way. Where again, I'm empowered by, you know, you know, I'm very inclined to do this. 
I, I, I tend to be able to see the needs of people and, and ask good questions and able to come in and, and serve. And I, I, I don't mind, I don't mind um, not being noticed sometimes. I, I can just operate in that strength. But I may forget it, but God has not forgotten what he said in Psalm 103.14. God remembers something about me, for he knows how we are formed. He remembers that we are dust. That's what Psalm 103.14 says. And so when God got you, he know, him know what he was getting. He was getting dust. Yeah. You know, Christopher Ash gives this very good point. He says, When you and I surrendered to Jesus as Lord, we did not offer him the service of a divine or even a semi-divine creature to strengthen his kingdom. We offer him the fragile, temporary, mortal, frail life that he has first given to us. This is all we have to offer. And God knows that and so again is that possibly why some of you as you are serving and you want to serve that you're finding it very hard are you putting too much confidence in your flesh are you focused more on where you feel more skilled and where you feel that you're getting the most appreciation and that service that gives you the most joy again when we operate like that what happens to our service, we get quite unbalanced. And so listen, you work really hard at work, but you don't have nothing left for your family. You serve all the time, and you know how to do it at church. But your co-workers would say, you know, this person is not really a team player. You give your all to your friends, and you're the best friend. But your siblings would just say, yo, you're self-centered. Again, we tend to serve where we feel most competent, but God wants us to serve where we are called. And maybe if you're not sure where you're called, I can just make it very simple. Are you a child? You're called to serve in your family. You have a job? You're called to serve at your workplace. You're a student? You're called to serve among your classmates and with your teachers. You're married? You're called to serve your spouse. Are you a parent? You're called to serve your children. Now, if all of that feels grossly overwhelming, you are in a good place. You see, because God likes to put us in a position where we can't rely on our own strength, or our own abilities. Because it is in that place that God shows himself strong. You see, grace and power is shown in our weakness. And so that's why 2 Corinthians 12, 9 says, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. And so that's why Paul will say, Yo, I boast all the more gladly of my weakness, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. So, saint, you're tired, boast in that weakness. Saint, you feel overwhelmed, boast in that weakness. You feel 
underappreciated. You feel overlooked? Boast in that weakness. Because it is there that God does much work. Remember, he knows who he got. We are but dust. You are frail. And that's exactly the type of material God loves to use. We get weary. We get tired. We go hungry. We need sleep, but not our God. And so that is tremendously good news. He uses the weak and feeble to confound the wise. In your weak yet faithful service, God will show himself strong. He will give you the gift of sustained service. He will empower you for the good of others. And so we go to our last point. Service for the common good. In verse 7 it says, To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Again, in our last verse, we understand the outcome of service for the common good, for the benefit of others. Service is always other focus. And as we mentioned before, all the varied ways that we seek to meet the needs of others, the goal, the end result, is their ultimate good. And their ultimate good is really their ultimate good in light of the gospel. And so again, how can we serve each other for the common good? I don't want to belabor this point because I think it's somewhat self-explanatory, but I want to put forward for you a few ways. There are things that I think we need to remember, and I want you to write those down. Common good service comes as we remember, first of all, that serving is not about people, is, is about people and not about projects. Serving is about people and not projects. You see, we need to be very careful of the ways that, again, in our service, we prioritize tasks, events, deliverables, over actually seeing and knowing people. You see, servanthood at its heart is relational. And so again, a part of knowing people is being very aware of their needs and meeting those needs coming alongside and caring for them. But it is people that we are serving. Again, as a parent, I recognize how easy it is for me to fall into the project of what has to happen. Oh, what for the pickups? There's extra lessons. There is this curriculum. Is this working for this one? Is, is, uh, can, can this one go to track? Can this one go to violin? The projects are the home. They're varied, and there are a lot. But a lot of the times, I can forget that I am serving my children. And so sometimes, one of the things I realize, if the relationship that you and your family are having is a struggle, because of all the things you're trying to figure out on that to-do list, you maybe need to rethink something. You maybe need to stop and say, you know what? This to-do list is not serving us. Every morning, we just have bicker. Every time, is just arguments. Maybe it's something for us to stop and think about. Listen, if setting up for church and our planned programs 
become a hindrance to relationship and serving each other for the glory of God, we will have to go back to the drawing board. And I'll tell you that. Again, another point I want to make is that common good comes when our service knows when to stop. You see, we live in a world that takes pride in business. Yo, you know much work I had to do? Yo, I know me not get no sleep, you know. I've been working on this project for such a long time. All of us are like that, eh? But listen, friends, there's always work to be done. We must know what we are. We are dust. And we need to rest. We need to pause. We may need to start another day. One of the things we need to be very cautious of in our service is the way we can have anxious toil. And so when Psalm 127.2 says, It is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil. For he gives to his beloved sleep. Again, knowing when to stop is just one of the practical ways we put our trust in the God who empowers us to serve. And when we do that, we remind ourselves that the project of building the people of God, it doesn't rest on us. We can sleep because we know that God never slumbers our sleep. He always gets the job done. And again, this is one of the principles that we look on when we talk about Sabbath and resting in God. Now, again, will there be times that you're going to have to stay up late? Sure. Are there going to be seven-day week service? Probably. No doubt when that happens, we pray that God is kind to sustain you and give you the energy you need to fulfill that commitment. But he does not intend for that to be your norm. Again, there's no doubt seasons that look like that for us in our lives. Again, those with young children, those who are studying, there are certain times, certain work projects where you feel like you're going and you're going. But friends, don't allow the season of busyness to become the general climate of your life. That isn't for the common good. One more thing I want to say. Sustained service, again, somewhat similar, knows when to say no to good needs. Listen, remember, with every yes you give to a task, you're saying no to some priority. Some other priority is going to be ignored, something else is going to be shelved. And so, not every need you see must be fulfilled by you. Maybe that's something you must pray about. Maybe that's something you must encourage another person to do. I know from people like myself, I want to be Superman. I like to swoop in and save the day. But guess what, Sean? You're guess what, Super Server? You're not the Savior. And again, sometimes some, I would look on a task and say, you know, if I did that, it, it would really come out better. Yeah? 
And so that's some frustration you can feel when you serve because you look on and you say, yo, you know, if I just did it, it would be sorted out quicker. It would look better. But listen, sometimes God in his sovereignty may very well want the person's best versus your way better. And so again, it's one of the reasons at GFC we want to roster service. It allows us to serve in sustainable ways. It allows us to benefit from the unique giftings and approaches of others. Again, sustained service shares the burden among the community that God has gifted. Remembering that it is to our good master who is the giver of the various gifts and service. So in conclusion, God has called us to serve. We established that. He calls us to do it in formal and informal ways. Sometimes he calls us to use our creativity. Sometimes it requires our diligence in the mundane task. Our service pulls us on, pulls on us in physical ways, in mental ways, emotional ways. But regardless of how it comes, the goal is the same. The goal is for the glory of God as we reflect the gospel to the benefit of others. Again, we said the Spirit sustains us to serve for the good of one another and the glory of our Master. Servanthood. This GFC is our worship. This is what pleases our Master as we serve the saints and we serve a world who desperately needs Him. Let's pray. You have just listened to a message by Sean Taylor, a pastor at Grace Family Church in St. Catherine, Jamaica. To learn more about Grace Family Church, visit gracefam.church.